Welcome to Cuppa, where we invite you to take a cup of your most comforting beverage and join us in our fictional break room where we talk about anything we feel like talking about, whatever's in our, what do they call it, cup of worries this week. I am your host, hashtag Pamela number two, due to my current state of real unemployment. <laughs> more like under, it's more like underemployment. Is it underemployment? I, anyway, I need a job that uses my degree, is basically what I'm trying to say. Somebody hire me. This, this situation is not working out. And with me, as always, we have Miriam. Hi, y'all. And we... Simi. <laughs> Why did you say it like that? <laughs> I'm just feeling a lot of negative vibes from you this week. <laughs> this week, um, first of all, let us congratulate Miriam on passing her PhD cup. Ooh, yay. You are now halfway to becoming one of the elite. I won't be elite unless I can get paid by elite, so unless I get paid like an elite. Yeah, so, but PhDs always have bragging rights. I don't want to be able to brag about something of the world. I want to be able to brag with like a car or like a house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if, if you say so. On the vein of academic superiority. Ooh, I actually said that. I was so worried I wasn't going to be able to no. say that word. Um, with all the, shall I say, racial tensions occurring, with the, I'd say with the current political climate, with the current racial tensions. Yes, with the current political climate, it is very interesting that this situation in academia, where you are a member of, happened. So, TLDR, basically to summarize, a well-respected professor in the field of chemistry recently published an opinion piece in a well-respected journal talking about the state of research in chemistry now. This research, this opinion piece created quite a lot of hubbula in the research world because of what he was talking about. The piece itself is actually quite long and honestly quite boring, and I don't even know why it was published. He talks about how people, due to... Um, affirmative action, he feels as though people who do not deserve it are being put in places of power, i.e. they're not getting their positions due to merit. And he feels as though because of this, research in his field is lacking and being basically put on a back pedal or no, not, not that. Let me not say that. He's basically saying that it's not where it should be. He talks about the drawbacks of Essentially, he's saying affirmative action is a drawback. He's saying that just because somebody is a white male, they do not deserve to be promoted to higher places in academia and that that is a problem. And then he also talks about <laughs> this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I read, I was just so upset about Nicole. I was just, oh. I only could read two excerpts of it because that was all I could find. But I'm so um, sorry. That's, that's it was already. My fault. That's my was, fault. But you know, even those two excerpts, I was like, "Wow." Yeah, that's my fault. He talks about how there's no transference of skills because the mentees, i.e., these new students, don't completely subjugate themselves to the mentors, i.e., him and his old cronies. 
And then he talks about how that all these new that universities only care about these international students because of money. Therefore, they're not getting the best talent out there. And I was just woo. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a very but, hard article to read but, but considering that it's a, supposed to be published in a scientific journal it's an opinion piece public scientific journal did he have any like facts to back up what he was saying no or any numbers exactly that's what i'm saying so basically all he said was just opinions like which is which is um it's crazy surprising for, not surprising no i was just thinking that for something for especially something like chemistry which is supposed to be you know something that's very backed on facts on hard science on things that are basically irrefutable to come and say things that are purely based on bias based on your own opinions it seems weird that it was even chosen in the first place to be in the journal and that somebody read it and thought yeah this will be a really good thing to have in a chemistry journal i it was just very strange to me Thank you. I was completely floored. And then I think one thing that he said that really I feel drove the point home was when he was talking about when during his time, when he was a postdoc, he learned the specific method for um, determining melting point or whatever. But nowadays, these students don't even want to learn the method. They feel as though they don't need to. They don't have to do that. And I was just like, because that's what happens. When research gets better, we don't have to use old methods. I was so confused. Yeah, it, it's it's like it's like it's like asking me to find density of water. Like it's been done so many times. Why do I need to do it again or learn how to do it again? You know, if I don't need to, I can just find the information and use my time more effectively finding you know the new information that I just I'm gonna use the density to calculate. Like it makes no sense. Like why do I need to use old methods? That's what science is for. You improve, it, not go back to the same thing over and over again. You know what I mean? That was just, I was truly floored as to how somebody got this uh, manuscript and was just like, yes, this is what the world needs to hear. This is important. But the fact that this was published, because there's two points to this, the fact that it was published and then the reactions to what happened after. But the first part is, I feel as though the fact that it was published speaks to the fact of how these older professors have this sense of entitlement, yes, but it also speaks to the fact that when it comes to academia, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know, and reputation plays a very big deal, which is one of the reasons that I personally am and, not a fan. And, and also funding, like not just who you know, also funding too, because you know, like more than likely a professor with a who bring, can bring money to university to fund more research and bring in more students is more likely to, you know, stay there longer than a professor who doesn't, even if they have, like, you know, the best, you know, if research out there, you know? Yes, exactly. And then the problem is that these old white men, right, when they did their research and when they contributed to the, to the body of science, it was truly innovative. And I am not taking that away from them. But time has passed and they're no longer pushing the forefront of research because, let's be honest, it's their postdocs that are doing this. But... They don't want to leave and give these new young researchers space to grow. They want to keep these researchers under their umbrella so that because whenever you publish this thing, his name is going to be attached to it, even if he doesn't really put anything forward or add anything to it. So his reputation is going to keep growing. But the real person that 
is doing the work, they're not going to be able to move forward to be a professor, to become tenured. That's not going to be happening because all these old men don't want to leave. They don't want to retire. And then on top of that, the fact is he's probably friends with these editors and whoever like review this paper so that it would get published. It's all these cronies and all these men that came up together and they're friends and they dominate the research space so that if you have an idea that's different to theirs or if you just want to do something slightly different, they're going to they're going to essentially push you down. You're not going to be able to explore that. And let me not let me not say that this is everybody because my supervisor was honestly fantastic. I do not know how he decided that I second that I should <laughs> I was worthy of his time. Honestly, after a year I became very disillusioned with the research space and with academia because in my mind I always wanted I always wanted to be a researcher. That was what I wanted to do. But then I came into the research world and I realized that it's not the best at the job that gets the most money and the most funding. It's whoever is and excuse me for my language, it's whoever is an expert at kissing ass. They're the ones that would get the really good funding. They're the ones that will go to these conferences and become associate professors and professor and eventually head professors. And there's and because of that they tend to mimic whoever it is that picks whoever it is that decides to become their mentor, they have the same personality. So we don't see a lot of diversity and we don't see a lot of different thinking. But you have these, some of these professors are genuinely about the research. So they don't care about whether or not you're a great talker or whatever. It's can you do the job? But those mm-hmm. professors are so few and they just, there's not enough of them that I understand why a lot of POCs see this and say, oh, I wanted to be a researcher. And then I found out you were all assholes. So I decided, fuck it, I'm going to do something else. That's why there's only these white men left that can take up these positions. The white men that you like, that you love when they kiss your ass and say how fantastic you were. So you're going to take them to your conferences. You're going to take them to your meetings with these businessmen so they have opportunities for the funding. Like, you're not going to take me because I'm not going to kiss your ass and I don't think your jokes are funny. (laughs) So hearing him complain about POCs getting these positions and it not being based on their merit but because of affirmative action, I'm like, I'm sorry, but... What world are you in <laughs> where, but, where they're but you know I, taking jobs? <laughs> but you know why I find that ironic, right? It, it's he okay, he's saying that you know the reasons why pe- pe- that, pe- that your people are picking diversity against um qualifications. Yet, if we were to go, let's say maybe 40, 50, I don't know how, how long ago, maybe 40, 50 years ago, like there were policies of exclusion basically based on your race, you couldn't, you couldn't your qualifications didn't matter. So, you know, it was kind of like the opposite where they only pick, you know, white people who are qualified but then they exclude everybody else, right? So you're, so basically your race or your ethnicity disqualified you even though you're qualified, right? Exactly. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, a cap, like not catching truth, but it's kind of like ironic. Because that's probably how he got where he got because he's white. You no, had but, more but, opportunities, but but that but that but that's but that's the case. Like because because of all these um discretionary policies, people were not competing on a fair playing field. People were not competing with the with. You cannot say you're competing with the best of the best if like you exclude other people from competing in the begin with. You know, so. Yeah, and I think also 
this transfers to the what do they call it industry work life it transfers to every aspect of everywhere where um you know colonialism and all these like you know policies of discrimination occurred it translates to everywhere like from every aspect of life from politics to um finance to education to law to like, like every single aspect of living it translates to yeah and i think people it's very let me let me let me rethink this it's very telling when you hear people say oh i'm not going to get the same opportunity because i'm white and then i look at them and say um maybe you won't get the opportunities because you're not good you're mediocre <laughs> because you're mediocre maybe yeah <laughs> prime example and i'm not going to call out any names but if you know me you know who i'm talking about there's a professor who did actually um what is it he what's that word i'm looking for he contributed a lot to a, a certain body of science when he first came so he's really good his reputation is amazing people are constantly citing his work fantastic professor right he has a lot of students that obviously carry on his work and things like that. He has this one student that everybody says this is his um, prodigy, right? This student in all aspects is average at best. He's, don't get me wrong. It's not like he's bad, but I yeah. wouldn't say he's at the forefront of this research topic. But he gets so many opportunities. This professor is always taking him everywhere he goes. He's always saying, you need to meet this person, you need to meet that person. And I found it quite interesting that this student was getting so many opportunities, yet the other member in his group wasn't getting that same opportunity. So, you know, I'm talking to this member. I'm like, you know, you have, you're doing great work. And he's just like, you think I'm doing great work? I'll do majority of the work and then he's fa- he'll give his favorite student like a small part to do something I could have done myself. And automatically that favorite student, his name now gets added to my paper. So his reputation increases, though he isn't doing the difficult part of the work. But I don't get any of those opportunities because I'm not like him. I'm not white. I don't kiss his ass. I don't like golf. <laughs> like, yeah, he's clearly the better student. When you see cases like that, I'm like, in the future, this average student at best, again, I'm not saying he's bad, he's average at best, will get these opportunities to get funding. He'll get the opportunity to become an assistant professor, and eventually he'll get an opportunity to start his own lab. And then him, with that same mindset that he got from his mentor, will probably how do I say it? he'll roll the shit downhill. <laughs> he'll only promote those who are like him and think the same as him and like the way he works, basically. Whereas those with actually true and innovative ideas, yeah, they'll do research for a while and contribute a little bit and then they'll leave because where are they going to go when it's all about networking? They're not going to want to do that. They don't have time for that. So when they say, oh, it's not that we don't have POCs in research, is that no, they're there, but they don't want to stay because it's such a shitty situation. And when this author complains that, you know, research hasn't moved forward as much as it should have by now, I'm saying it's probably because your best talent is leaving because you're not fostering an environment where they can really prosper. Grow. Yeah. And it, and it, harks back to like i said the industry where 
when I was when I had a job oh such a long time ago I was <laughs> I was lucky enough to have a supervisor that was all about if you want to learn something learn it if you want to do something do it because I want you to be better because if you're better you're going to be a good asset to the company which then when I worked I obviously I thought that it was just how all supervisors were I really did because with our supervisor as well that was that was the opportunity I was given and then I worked in a situation where I wanted to learn more but the supervisor wouldn't give me the opportunity saying oh you don't need to do your job yet you see this like white male who got the up who said oh I want to do it then and he'll give him the opportunity to do it and I don't know if it's like a conscious decision but they were friends they will talk about stuff in the morning and talk about their personal life but he i didn't have anything to say to them we weren't friends we didn't have any, we didn't have anything in common so we didn't have that personal connection and it made me wonder that i obviously i obviously left that job <laughs> but that's the kind of situation everybody is dealing with right now in both academia and in the industry where you have situations where these people in power whether consciously or unconsciously i i don't know seem to want to see themselves projected in whoever it is they want to help and i think until they realize that we're not really going anywhere whenever we talk about these um situations of inequality sorry i went on a rant i was was gonna say like but but that's the annoying thing about situations like this because people want to hire or people want to like promote people who are like them or people who they can people want to work with people who are more like them or people they can relate to right Mm. and you know you may not you know relate for whatever reason maybe you know you you maybe for every reason you feel like you can't relate to a poc even though maybe you could if you just you know maybe tried a little bit or try try to meet a, a little bit halfway so because of the issue people want to promote people who are like them or maybe see themselves in them you know it kind of closes the door to everybody else maybe who is poc and that's and that's why you know people hide that and that's the reason why we have the from the action policy because people tend to hire people who are like them and you know promote them to these high positions i think a lot of people maybe i'm again maybe it's also because i'm bitter because i am jobless but <laughs> a lot of people say oh you have it's because they don't know any better you have to give them benefit of the doubt but then i call bullshit because I've had um, supervisors, hello, white man, <laughs> who, who just see that, oh, this is talent, so we should nurture this talent. And that's the end of the conversation. It's not about connecting with them. It's not about whether or not this person thinks like me or has the same interests I do. It's about, I've seen talent. I know they can do it, so I should give them opportunities. So when you have people like that, it's very hard for me to give the other people who want a mini me running around the benefit of the doubt it's very hard I, but I, it's not a thing it's not necessarily about being the benefit of the doubt it's also about like ethics and you know are you like do you want to move things forward or do you just want to feed your ego so yeah. it's not necessarily about it's not necessarily about like at some point it's not necessarily about fostering new talent sometimes it's about again like you have a mini me and feeding ego which is a problem on its own, you know, like, you know, when you're watching the news, you see this anchor, and then you hang, you hear this anchor's last name, and then you realize this anchor's last name is related to this governor in another state, right? Mm. You see this anchor was, you know, related to this very, very rich family in, um, you know, of New York City, 
you see like you know people who work in politics you see you hear stories of like you know their uncle worked for a lobbyist and that's how you know they the uncle ended up voting for this lobbyist company that represents um you know um what's it called again their funding you you you, you hear because i watch the news a lot you see these things right and for, because of the way you know politics works it's a predominantly like you know white space mm. and that's and there's also that you end up seeing predominantly like like new people entering the field to be white so it's just caucasians be caucasian mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's also like, i'm not sure if you saw a picture of like i don't i don't like to you know I, that's the thing annoying thing i, I don't like to you know talk about the u.s because you know canada we have our own issues but like if you look and like if you look at the picture of when obama was in power for the white house um the white house um interns mm-hmm. and you look at it now it's like night and day literally <laughs> <laughs> literally but, right but that's the thing i feel that we should talk about because as internationals we don't have these connections already built wherever we go it's just us that we have to depend on a lot of these um local people they have the advantage of being from here or knowing an uncle or knowing an aunt that worked there so when we get into these spaces i will admit that i am biased uh, when i was working and i had um co-ops I was more attentive to female co-ops of color than I was to my white male co-op because they don't have a problem asking questions. They don't have a problem feeling as though they belong there. And other team members were just more open to helping them out. But yet these, in my case anyway, I don't know if that's the case in other places. These women, they were very quiet they always felt as though, you know, when you're one of the few women in the workplace, you feel as though you represent the whole, <laughs> all women everywhere. And so you don't want to make it, you don't want to feed the te- stereotype that women can't do certain things or women aren't as smart. So because of that, you think, tend to do things on your own. So I decided to pay more attention to them because I knew they wouldn't be coming to me for answers for certain things because they didn't want to feed the stereotype. Even though the male was just no bars, hey, I'm having a problem, you need to fix this for me or I need help with this. And even if he's not coming to me, he's gonna go somewhere else and ask that question. But these girls, I'm just, you've been suffering for like two hours. There's nothing wrong with saying you need help. And I feel as though we as internationals feel the same way. As the paper mentioned, he talked about, oh, how they're having internationals that aren't skilled or whatever. We have this mentality that we've been given a chance to be in this space. So we shouldn't mess. I don't want to say mess it up, but we shouldn't feed into any stereotypes these people have. And that's a lot of pressure on us. I want to be able to make mistakes so I can learn from it. I do not want to have to feel that I have to do everything by myself. That's not fair. But that, that we do it. That feeds into respectability politics, having to feel, having to be perfect in order to prevent, you know, negative, being able to feed negative stereotypes, which in the end, I feel it's not, it's, it's like a fallacy or like, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. It's basically like a false narrative because at the end of the day, you can do, you can be the number one top of your field, the best of the best, and it still won't remove any of the prejudices that they will have against, you know, your group. You know, you like, you could represent, you could be, they'll be like, oh, you should just exception. The rest of them are like that, you know? <laughs> the rest of them are unqualified. Oh, she, she, but but you know, she's okay. She's okay. But everybody else is like, nah. Yeah. They're average. I know. So you, it's, you, it's, 
good ones, not you, definitely not. Not you, yeah, you're, you're special. Yeah. You're precious little yeah. unicorn. <laughs> they're, they're all trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, so that's the thing. It's like, you know, in the end, like we all feel like we have to be perfect, but I feel at the end of the day, as perfect as you are, you're not, you you being perfect will not end, end their, you know, their bigoted or biased views. They're, if they haven't to begin with, they'll have it whether or not you are the anecdotal evidence to the contrary of what they believe. So I, this is another thing. As I mentioned that I was obviously biased towards um, women and POCs. I think it's all right to be biased, but to recognize that you're being biased because like, if I, Oh, sorry. <laughs> because it's like this. I didn't take away any opportunity from my white co-op. Never. They all had the chance of the same opportunity. I was just more attentive to the women because I know that as a woman myself, knowing how I felt when I was still learning, I understood their needs more. And with internationals, I feel that sometimes in order not to seem biased, they go the extreme and become just like their white counterparts. And they do not want to associate themselves with this international label. So they try to stay away from either all other internationals, not even an international, just like a POC. They try to stay away from that. Whereas for me, I'm just like, you know exactly what I'm going through. So help me out. I don't have the same advantages as the other people around me. You know it's going to be harder for me. I don't understand how some people have this mentality of, well, I got here by myself, so you can get here by yourself too. Nobody got anywhere by themselves. Like, like <laughs> nobody, like, you know, I don't, so I don't know why people have that mentality because we all, we all came here. Some, somebody helped us at some point, even they may be, it may be minor, but you know, maybe that minor thing that helped you may, and may actually be major, but you just don't see it. Right. So. Yeah, I think it's something I've noticed, but and other people have said they've noticed, especially when it comes to women. So women that get into higher positions are actually more likely to treat women that are the subordinates worse than the males are. And some people say it's because they feel like they've gotten to this level and they don't want it to they don't want to seem weak. So they kind of take on that mantle of kind of gatekeeping. So it's like, yeah, I'm I'm the strong woman. And then all these other women, yeah, they're weak, so they're not like me. So I thought that's that's the reason why some people do it so that they, they're kind of saying I'm not like them. I'm not the stereotypical woman, person of color, black, gay, whatever, whatever. I'm not like them. I'm different. And then this is how I'm showing that I'm different from them. And also, I think it's partially because they don't want to seem like they don't want to seem like they're doing they're being preferential treatment. They don't want to treat everybody the same, even though like not everybody is the same. You mm. know, not, not everyone's going to be seen the same. So sometimes we may need, like, uh, until we get to that point, sometimes you may need to, you know, be a little bit more attentive to maybe your female colleagues, you know? Yeah. Like, one of my cousins, she is a teacher. She's not going to uh, listen to this, so mm. I can, but, like, I can say this. But, yeah, she's a teacher, and she teaches um, secondary school. Um, and she she's Black, obviously, like I am. And she tries to, as much as possible to give as much kind of leadership Care, pastoral care to the students that are of color to the extent that her kind of administration had to tell her oh why are you um why do you why are you um preferring or giving preferential treatment to the black children or the 
Asian children or the minority children over the white children. And she tried to tell them, it's not like I'm giving them preferential treatment. It's, it's the fact that they're already on, on the back foot already. So she's trying to kind of bring them up to the same level. And they were like, no, you have to treat all the children the same, blah, 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 blah. And it's like... I think I think it stems from... Uh, I, oof, I'm trying to think of the right word because I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to say that everybody's like this, but I think it stems from the fact that they don't know how it is to not be treated the best. <laughs> so when they see, they, so for them, they assume that everywhere they go, everybody's going to help them and everybody's going to try and make sure that they're comfortable. So when they see an occasion where, oh, why is this person getting treated differently than I am? Not better. Again, it's not better. It's just different. They don't understand that concept because they feel as though they're on the losing end. And it's very frustrating to meet people like that because it's like, have I taken anything away from you? Am I giving them something that you do not have access to? And they can't confidently say yes. They know the answer is no. You're not, there's nothing that you have taken away from me. I just don't like the fact that I can't get that too. That's the mindset that I feel as though a lot of them come to. That's why, as I mentioned, I try my best. I am obviously not in a position to help anybody. <laughs> as I am jobless, somebody should help me. But, I'm not positioned to help anybody either. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think as, as people who are coming here without the connections, because let's, sometimes that's just how you get how you get far in life. Like, we'll be honest about it. Nothing in this world is fair. Without the connections... I feel as though us transplants, immigrants, we're doing ourselves a disservice when we fail to help each other out. And we think that in order to make ourselves not stand out, we have to be more like the majority class. And that's but, that's but not question, right. Though, but yeah. question though, like in general, do you think a lot of transplants or immigrants or people because are in positions too? Like, in, in, just in terms yeah, of the but that's the you thing. think you're in those positions? But that's the thing. We're, it's not about being the boss, right? That's not what it's about. It's not yeah. about, I'm not trying to say, oh, just put me in somewhere I don't deserve. That's not what it is. It's the simple thing. It's about, mm, hey, when I came, I had a lot of... And stuff like that. Yeah, I had a lot of trouble with my taxes. Let me help you out. Or when I first moved here... Mm -hmm. um, let me think. Uh, where did I go? I had a job somewhere. For example, when I when I ask you, oh, if you if you see me at work and you know that I just moved here, it's as simple as saying, hey, I know where you can get your hair done. I know the place that has the best products. Just little things like that to make me much more comfortable in this new environment that I'm in. Or saying, hey, that your boss, he really likes it when you do things this certain way. If you need help, come to me. I'll help you. Because mm -hmm. nine times out of ten. This POC is not going to have anybody to ask. But that white guy is going to be like, man, my boss was really mad at me at the way I did this. Does anybody know how, like, can't anybody help me improve? And he'll get lots of help. But that POC is going to be sitting by themselves struggling. And just putting out a hand and saying, I can help you with that, goes a very long way. But a lot of, no, I'm not saying a lot, but you meet these people who are like, oh, no, if I'm seen helping the POC, it's going to remind them that, I, that I'm a POC, too. 
these Caucasians never forgot. <laughs> they know. They have never forgotten. So you being quiet and trying to blend into the background is not going to improve your situation at all because you can bet when it comes down to it, they don't know you. When sorry, when this Black Lives Matter thing came around, you know how many black people were like, I did not know my white friend was crazy like this. And then the white <laughs> friend is just like, well, you know, you never really said anything. So I just assumed you were one of the good ones. Like, bitch, what? <sighs> Let me not go on a rant again. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just like, like, I, I think just for me personally, like, I, like, just in terms of like, you know, saying just giving a handout, POC or non POC, I'm just the kind of person where, like, you know, like, if I see somebody struggling or if I see something, like, let's say I'm looking at something and I'm seeing, like, oh, this could be better. I'm just kind of person where whoever you are, I'll just give you the advice straight away just because I think that's part of, that's part of, like, I, I and it's part of, it's not, it's kind of, like, I don't want to say it's self-serving, but also it's kind of, like, um it's kind of, like, you want, you want to help somebody, also you want to be have a respect too because there'll be a time where you, maybe you need help, mm. right? And so I, 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 I call it, I say self-serving, but also I, I say it's also it's reciprocal because you know if i help you you know they may be I, like even if you don't ask me like i should still help you even though because one day you know i may need the help because you never know who you you never know who the people you whether the people mm. you counter but then then we enter the whole stream of um morality do you only help people who can help you but that's but that's the thing like not necessarily only help people who you help you because that's what i'm saying you never know who can help you so you, you treat everybody the same. Oh, right. No, I'll be honest. I will never be able to help you. That <laughs> <laughs> My station in life will never but allow could, that. But, it, but I'm saying it could be, but it could be on anything. It doesn't have to be, you know, something big. It could be on anything. Maybe one day you refer me to a hairdresser and then another day I refer you to like, you know, I refer you to like, you know, this very like nice store or something like that. It's just something I'm talking about tiny things. It doesn't have to be all always about work, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's that's just my my thing i feel as if like because i feel as if like some people only want to help people where it'll benefit them right mm. i'm the kind of person where like you know anybody in this world like you don't know you, like, you don't know what anybody else in this world would be you don't know who who um like you know anybody like everybody has i don't know what i'm saying i'm saying everybody has value so you never know who like you know by you ignoring somebody at one point in your time you never you may see them 10 years from now and be like oh i need your help and they'll be like okay who are you, you know? <laughs> no but that okay sidebar i'm very bad at remembering people it doesn't mean i don't like you it just means i don't know who you are because i forgot <laughs> uh, but yeah that's uh, it's hard and we just need to help each other out it's but just back to the topic, I feel like it's just a level of entitlement and resentment because now you, I, I feel a lot of that, of that feeling of saying only, you know, POCs are getting opportunity and, you know, they're not necessarily qualified, even though the majority of the time they're more qualified, if not overqualified for those positions. Like, you know, they always have to, cause not, not just because of conditioning, it's just because of like, you know, the view, you have to, the, the view of them, you have to, you know, always be at the top of your game right so nine times out of ten so that's a fallacy nine times out of ten or even ten, ten out of ten the poc is going to be just as qualified even not, not more qualified right so i feel like that's and also feel like it's also resentment in the case where they feel okay now i have to, I have to be in a level playing field right with everybody else so and, they actually have to work 
And I, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Now I actually have to compete mm. with, you know, on an actual living paying for, even though I was giving the false fallacy that before I was comparing never on a, on a, on a, on a double paying for, even though there were policies back then, like even like, I'm not sure if you heard, um, there were some schools, you know, in Canada where they would actually like say POs, black people cannot enter, yeah. you know? So, mm. so how, so how you, how you end up playing, how can you say you're the best top of your class if like, you're, if like the people who, who, if there are people out there who won't even give an opportunity to even enter the class. Yeah, that's true. But this brings another thing that I actually wanted to talk to Simi about because Simi actually went um, to a protest for Black Lives Matter. Uh, I don't go outside, so I'm not doing that. But it brings me into the whole being an immigrant and having a role in racial politics. Because yeah, a lot of immigrants tend to stay away from that because for us, it's we're just happy to be here. So <laughs> nobody should talk to us about anything. But do you think we should be more vocal? And to me, in your experience, how do immigrants, because you are in a very popular city, so it's a huge mix of different people. How do you feel the racial politics and who says something and who doesn't say something? How does that go on? Let me get my thoughts together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can say something with you. Sure. I remember one of my friend's brother he was saying that um that one thing he noticed is that he found like a lot of african people would sometimes distance themselves from like african immigrants would sometimes distance themselves from like you know like black like when i say black names the people who've been here since like you know the founding of canada right mm-hmm. so basically we distance ourselves from them you know because because um we think we're quote-unquote better even though at the end of the day you know when they first it, when the first thing people will see is just you know your black skin um, but it, it, and it has to do with the fact that um, for the most part, like when immig- when African immigrants or you know Caribbean immigrants or wherever you are coming from come to Canada, and you're coming as if you, so if you come as an economic immigrant, not like a refugee, then mm-hmm. sometimes you're already you already have a leg up in terms of where you're gonna fall in terms of social class, right? Because one thing he was mentioning is that if you notice that you well, whenever you are in like some spaces like you know medical spaces or like you know law or whatever the Per, the next black person you see in the you not only will be the only black person, the other black person you'll see in the room, it will be somebody who's also African too, not necessarily somebody who's like you know a a black Canadian. And then there's always that like you know that um that I am better because just because I'm uh, we I, we find ourselves in these spaces I'm better than you know the black Canadian even though that's not necessarily not the case. And part of the reason why that is is because of you know the fact that you're just coming here right, mm-hmm. and you're coming here as a pre in a in a already um predisposition class. I don't know what the one word I'm looking for. You're already coming in a class where you already know where your class is going to be when you come here. Whereas like people who have been living here from the beginning, they had to fight for all these rights that we have now. And you know, they, when they first came, they came with like nothing or they had to like, you know, be treated. They, when they first came, they, were, they came treated like dirt, right? Or being treated like second class citizens whereas we're just coming with we all the benefits that they kind of fought for. So in, in that way, it's kind of like, that's kind of like the racial, the, the class politics. Yeah. That, I completely understand what you're saying. Are you ready? Are you ready to me? Yes, I'm ready. And one thing I've noticed about Africans in general is that Africans, especially when they go to a a spot or a place that's not their own, they don't like to cause trouble. Mm. They don't like to vote. They don't like to do anything that might cause them to be noticed in any type of way. So I feel like 
I'm not really an immigrant. I, I'd be like second or third gen at this point. Um, but I do find that, especially the first gens, you will not catch them speaking about racism. Whatever happens, they will grin and they will bear it because they're like, you know what? I'm not here to make any friends. I just want to make a living for my kids and that's it. What I do find is that people like me, so the second gen, the third gens, are the ones that are more likely to speak out if they do. And then obviously the, the uh, black people that maybe have been here for generations will definitely speak out. Um, one thing I also noticed is that, you know how you were talking about um, how maybe the Africans think they're better than the black British people? One thing that Africans pride themselves on is the culture of um, hard work, work ethic. And they feel that a lot of the people that were born here are quite lazy. Lazy. Um, <laughs> in their work life just in general they feel that they they don't think big and they're just very happy to you know join gangs sell drugs be on benefits have lots of babies and the africans kind of pride themselves on on having maintained the culture that they have in the, in the motherland and you know they you know they they work they get married before they have kids and then they'll have the kids and then the kids will go to uni and then the kids will go to uh, when they graduated uni they go and work in somewhere like pwc or jp morgan the, the people that live here, they're, they're fine working in, you know, Argos or McDonald's or, uh, you know. Hey, 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 McDonald's wouldn't hire me. <laughs> no, but that, that, that's how they feel. And I feel like that kind of divide is there because they feel like, oh, you, you like, fine, you were, you were sold or you came whenever you came, but you've lost your culture. And that means you, you don't have the same kind of standing as us anymore. Because I feel like that's where that kind of divide comes from. I don't agree with it. But I, I, I do. I wanted to say that I think that behavior is probably what feeds into the stereotype when people are like, oh, but you're not like those black people. And for some odd reason, some Africans take pride in that, which is weird. <laughs> Why would you want to take pride in that until you speak and say something? They don't know where you're from. Because it's like, it's, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like, oh, being the token, the good one, which is very yeah. annoying, right? <laughs> which it's, it's very annoying because it's like, because it's, because I don't know how to describe it. It's very annoying just because, just because being the token is not a good thing, yes. you know, because you, you can be the token for so long until like, you know, when, when shit is the fan, then you're everybody else. <laughs> which is, which actually um, is one thing that's always bothered me about it i was talking to um somebody else about this whole system of them saying oh they have so many opportunities here and they don't take advantage of it and i'm just like that's not how it works back home we are the lucky ones we're able to study and we're able to get good enough grades to come Mm -hmm. here and be able to go to um uni and eventually get a job but and we also have the support system too. Yeah, the thing is, part we have of a good support, support system, system is very is very important that people tend to forget. But you come here, and it's like you fail to realize that we were very privileged that we were able to go to a school that taught us what we needed to know. These schools here don't get the same funding. Somebody, oh, this pissed me off. So when I was one of those let me not rock the boat kind of people, and mm-hmm. I had a discussion with a very racist. He was, no, let me not say, he said he wasn't racist. He just didn't believe in affirmative action. Allegedly. I wanted to slap, but I was just like, I can't rock the boat. Let me just mind Mm. my own business. I was also the only black person there. And I did not want to be the crazy black person. 
(laughs) Let me not feed into that stereotype. He said that he doesn't understand, that he doesn't think it's fair that he got good grades, but he didn't have access to the same scholarship as somebody else who got like slightly less grades than him. And then I looked at him and said, the minimum to get into the school is 3.5 GPA. That's the minimum, just the minimum. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. That's the minimum. After that, they take other things into consideration. You're as barely hit the minimum and you came from a good school with good parents. Both your parents were at home. They helped you with homework and you had like extracurricular activities. The other- also surrounded by people also who have who have those like, you know, who who have like the mentality of wanting to do good in school too. Exactly. Also, it's not just you, it's also who you're surrounded by is another important And you had aspect. good teachers because you lived in a good neighborhood. This kid, and good teachers, good teachers in a small class sizes too. This kid, like you, he barely got that three point five GPA as well. But unlike you, he's coming from an area where the classes are so packed, students have to stand in classes. The teachers that they have, they don't have long-standing teachers. They have substitutes coming in all the time. You think he has time to be learning when his Growing up in a single parent home, and he also has to have a part time job so they can pay the bills, and he has to take care of his siblings. I'm sorry, but the fact that both of you got a 3.5 GPA means your ass is dumb. <laughs> like, that's what it means. And they just don't, it doesn't click in their head whenever they talk about affirmative action. I'm like, affirmative action is not that somebody worse than you get to leg up, it's that once the minimum has been met, affirmative action means. They worked harder than you to get that minimum, so they're probably a better worker than you are. So they, as a as a company, why would I not want to hire the person that's a better worker? They definitely had to go through way more than you have in order to get to where they are. But they just they just don't seem to. They don't get. Oh, he pissed me off. Now that and, I'm just thinking think, about it, I'm upset. I think about it also. I think about it also. It's that like, I find weird is the fact that like if you look at, again back to what I was saying back to history. Historically, people were excluded. Like there were laws to exclude people from entering, you know, the entering certain spaces, entering certain professions, entering certain schools, right? And you, and if you think about that, putting from faction in, and because of that that created a bigger inequality divide. So if we were to put a from action, that's kind of in a way a small band to correct what you what what was done and being passed. So I don't understand why people don't seem to understand that. Okay, we're doing this also to not on, like not only to provide opportunity, also to correct what was done in the past because in a way you can see what was done before reverse affirmative action where we would exclude everybody and only allow one per, one person of yeah especially one, one when you talk about internships where oh i can just talk to my uncle and i'll get that job well i'm sorry but this black person is the first person in his family to even graduate university he doesn't know how to go about getting an internship so when he or it doesn't or it's not in those spaces to even yes to find that he doesn't know how to apply for scholarship. Oh, you play baseball? That's nice. Their school did not have a field, okay? Their school had two classes, and people just figured it out. And he still got here. <laughs> Seriously. Something else I've realized from, I guess, um, the UK. So basically, the whole uh, Black Lives Matter thing in the UK, a lot of people seem to think, Oh, why are people in the UK protesting for something that's happening in America? Because nobody in the UK believes that the UK is racist. <laughs> and one thing I realized from reading Twitter, a lot of people don't know history. 
So people are thinking, oh, you know, slavery, you know, that was like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Black people should have been able to, you know, level the playing field by now. And then they don't realize that, you know, actually the first, I mean, the civil rights movement was, was, was done in what, 1960? Yeah. That, that actually, yeah, it's not that, that's 80 years. Some of the people that were, that were lynching, I mean, they're still lynching people. Marching. Yeah. Yeah were lynching people in the 1960s are still alive today still and some of the people and some of the people who were voting for policies against um the civil rights movement were probably in 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 um, congress or in politics not even that long ago no some of them are still in politics today <laughs> yeah <laughs> have taken up their mantle and they're mm-hmm. doing things now and so i feel like a lot of people are thinking oh this happened a long time ago the laws weren't even that bad you know maybe they couldn't ride the same bus okay maybe they couldn't have gone to the same schools i still remember i'm um, reading a story about the the girl in the south who was able to go to and um, the first um black girl to go to a, a second yes yeah yes. yeah ruby ruby something police to escort her to and from the house because not just the police secret service actually i don't think it was the police the secret service who had oh, to escort her and and that's another thing i don't think people realize oh if you are old enough if you're that their grandparents nowadays are the kids that were the first to enter segregated schools. I don't think they realize that. They don't realize that your father or mother probably didn't go to a segregated school because your grandparents were like, fuck that shit. Your grandparents were the ones who were throwing food at these kids that were walking through the halls because they didn't want a segregated school. So don't tell me it's been a long time ago. Oh, sorry. It's crazy. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> And like even people like historical things. So there's this whole thing about you know their um their toppling statues all around mm. the world. So in Belgium they toppled Leopold. In England they toppled mm-hmm. some slavers. I know in America too they've been toppling some people. And some and people are like, oh, but you know they did so much great things. And then nobody realizes that yeah they did great things. But the great things they did were blood money. It's because they transported. 88,000 slaves, 19,000 of whom died in transit, and mm-hmm. then they used that money to, to enrich the docks. Like, we found out in the UK that when they abolished slavery, that um, they didn't do it by choice. They did it because there were lots of revolts, yeah. and, um, and it wasn't profitable. But the British government actually paid off the slavers. Oh, they and, did that in America as well. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. only and Haiti, I think. That money only ended being paid in 2015. Wow. Alone, and that loan money only finished getting paid in 2015, which means that plenty of black people have been paying taxes to pay off slavers that were killing their ancestors. Like, to me, that's just, it's crazy. And everyone's like, oh, no, but they did such good things. But you know they they on the backs on for the but for the benefit of who and on the backs of who too, the good things for the benefit of you, you but on the backs of me. They say, oh, Winston you know? Churchill, you know he helped win the war, but Ugh. he also killed three million Bengali people, but he also killed many Kenyans because they were pitting tribes against each other. Like nobody knows about the history of these people. It's just that oh yeah, but they did this thing, but they were a pedophile. <laughs> 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 like people. And also, it's kind of like, because I think also partially history and also kind of like the false narratives that the, the romanticization of, you know, their actions. Because one thing, one thing I remember watching was I was watching this talk show 
the view. And I remember they were talking about how Tom, Thomas Jefferson, how like, um, you know, when he ha- owned slaves and then how he was, he was in a relationship with a slave girl. I don't remember the name, her name, to be honest. But, um, but some, but one of the co-hosts said, I thought they were in love. And I'm just like, you, you, you thought, uh, you thought this slave master was, you, you thought this slave girl was in love with the slave master. I'm like, and, and then she, you, you could see the person, she was, she just looked so confused, but she's like, but I thought they were in love. I thought they were in love. I'm like, I, I'm sorry, are you, like, do you not hear yourself? I'm, like, it's, like, see, and this is what I'm just saying, the romanticization of these things, like, the fact that she could utter her mouth that she thought a slave master and a slave were in love, like, first of all, they can't, even if they, even if, you know, they could be, they can't be in any way because it's not, it's not a dynamic that would even allow that to happen, you know? Yeah, but I think... Even if it's some effed up way, if they were in love, like, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't call that love. That's what you call, like, what's that what I'm looking for? Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, that's what, Stockholm Syndrome, that's what I'm saying. It's not love. It's not. But I but, think... But, 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 but I think, the romanticization of the history, like, no, but... They, wait, but I think the thing is that it's harder for them to get it because they don't know about the imbalance of power. But, they have but, not but, been but, in that situation. Pause, pause. Pause, pause, but, but they can, but that's one I'm, I can, I want to kind of push back on that because they can see the imbalance in power between a teacher and a kid, a teacher and a student. They can see the imbalance in power of like an adult and, you know, like, like, you know, and a child or like a parent and like, you know, a, a, like a minor child. They can see that imbalance, but they can't see the imbalance of a slave and a master. Like, I, that's, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't, I, I, I call, I call like, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. I'm sorry. But you know what? I can believe it. Do you know why? Because I found out that in America, it is allowed for a police officer to have sex with somebody that is in custody and it's not considered rape as long as the police officer says it's consensual. Whoa! Yes. No, I thought it was rape. In some, no, 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 no. In some states, because no. it's sorry. I, I sorry. Can you say that again? I missed your last point. No, says, you tell me about imbalance of power. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that's, that's what I'm saying, because the thing is, it, it depends on the state, because some states make that are legal, just, but in some states, it's not, not they don't make, put that in the, on the laws, which I don't know why, it's you know, it's 30 wow. or 13, I think 36, wow, that's a lot, wow. and, but, but also, like, but also, it's like, you know, even in prisons, too, like, I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure it probably exists, but there's, but for the most part, in prisons, you're not supposed to, have relations with you know whether mm. you're a female or male guard you can't have relations to it's actually considered rape to have relations with your inmate yeah so, you, so that's what i'm saying y'all can understand that concept but y'all can understand the concept of like you know uh because 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 these are the same people who discuss the me too movement and balance of power between like you know a boss and a co-worker yet you can't understand the imbalance of power between because i'm seeing these are the same people who have the, the same conversation the same show but they can't understand the imbalance of power between a slave and a master so i'm just i, I'm, I call like nonsense on that it's just like they don't want to see that <sighs> Caucasians be Caucasian. <laughs> <laughs> and I, went, I, I didn't even tell the race of the woman, and you just assumed it, which was, and it was correct. Well, yeah, because I know. <laughs> no black woman would be like, that's love. What? I, 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 I know the, the sad thing about it, like, you know, like when, in, the, in, the, in the host, like there were two black women, like one, well, one was like, um, has, like Latino, one was black, and one was white. And basically, people were like, they were trying their hardest to basically say, uh, no, the, no, the white woman actually pushed the hardest on her the most. The two other two black women, they were like trying their best to like say, no, that's not, you're, that's not it, you know, but the well, Caucasian woman who pushed hardest on, on the most, right? Well, so I'm just kind of like. But that, but that, but I think that follows, that follows the trend of you only listen to people who are like you. So yeah. no matter how much black people and people of color like complain, the white people in power won't listen until another white person in power is like, okay, 
hold up, we need to fix that. Taking it back to our first story about how the old white men in power, in order to get a POC also on that great academic field, the old white man in power has to be the one to give her that opportunity because she's not going to get it any other way. (laughs) I think that's just how it is. Like, it sucks. Life sucks. I'm tired of life. I am tired that I haven't won the lottery so I can go to a private island and just forget about this oppressive system. And I think I'm tired even more because I know that I am on the lowest. I'm the lowest on the totem pole. Bruh. It sucks bruh. being so bruh. low on the totem pole. Like, it's bruh. Bad like, it's bad enough being a woman. I had to be both. Oh. Really? <laughs> I think maybe that's why, like, sometimes I feel as though we take the most crap. Because it's not like we can do anything about it. You know, there's nobody, the shit just keeps rolling and then it gets to us and then we're just covered in it and there's nothing we can do about it. And and if I could say, I could also want to say with respect to the fact that why, you know, how you're saying that, you know, a lot of African people were all kind of like, you know, they don't rock the boat kind of thing. I think that's when, especially when we're um, new immigrants to the the country, I feel that's also part of a survival mode because you're just trying your hard, because when you first come in, you're just trying your hardest to just like, you know, do well, like you're trying your hardest just to eat, right? And, you know, you don't want to rock the boat to... To, that may, it maybe affect you know your job or whatnot because like for instance like when I remember when you were saying it in the U.S. right like your your visa is tied to your employer right mm. so imagine if you said something employer didn't like an employer like you know let's say you are an immigrant and you're and you're on a visa and your employer just you said something you just stand to your parent employer was like you know what f this person like you know this person giving me trouble <laughs> okay. you know I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not gonna I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm not gonna renew your visa right mm. so I think that's it's partially that fear of like you know being you know quote unquote sent back. <laughs> No, I understand. Like, don't get me wrong. I completely understand when when some when some immigrants are like, "Listen, this is not for me. I cannot help you in this fight." I have like it's like I have like a children to take care of. Like, I'm not trying to go back. I, all I'm saying is, I completely understand. I'm like, you don't have to stand up for me, but don't kick me when I'm down. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's all I'm asking for. And immigrants just can't do that bare minimum. Like, yes, I know you're struggling. I understand. I'm struggling too. But when somebody is talking trash about me or when like, as in, if you know that, oh, they were talking about your project and they didn't like this part about it. Can you meet me in a corner and tell me and not just let me go into the meeting looking all stupid? Like, don't, don't do that. Help me out. We're all trying to survive. That's all I'm saying. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Like, like you know, that's like, it's kind of, but it's just to me that's a courtesy thing. Don't call somebody that if you if you can beforehand, try to put them put, put them to corner and be like, hey, you know, I think this can be done better. I think like don't don't mention it in the meeting, right? Like, <laughs> Thank when, you. Yeah, like that, that's a common courtesy thing in my opinion. Like you know, but they'll be wild and they're trying to not look like they're biased, so they'll be the ones talking the most shit during the meeting. And I'm just looking at them like this motherfucker. <laughs> like you like, can even. Talk to me like later. I, like, I, have a, I have an awkward experience to share about that, but I'll tell that after we... um. <sighs> it's been a hard... It's been a long discussion. Life is hard. Politics are hard. It's, it's, it's so... Mind, it's so... Like, that's why this is a full-time job. Like, if you're a person that's like, trying to read this thing and trying to fight this thing, it's so... Like, this system is on autopilot to the point where it's... It was, like, it, it's been going on autopilot for, for years, where it's literally, like, so exhausting 
to to have to like fight this and i'll, I'll not even tell you like um like for instance i'm not sure if you, saw, you, you you see that video that kenneth owens did with respect to george floyd and bring out his rap like do you have you seen that no because so she's Ken- stupid She's one of those that I talk about that thinks that if she just keeps talking long enough, people will forget she's black. And I'm like, they won't. They will always know you're black. No, no I, I disagree because I, cause the thing is, I feel like, you know, she she fits this niche of because she's black, she can say these things. And that's why, and it's the things that, you know, the dominant society can't say. And because she can say them, then people, the dominant society can say, oh, you know, see, this is a black woman that she agrees with me. You know, the one, it, it's the, the racist, one anecdotal. It's the racist that says, I have a black friend. Yeah, basically. <laughs> And a, and a black friend that says, yeah, you know, look at me, I'm the black friend. You know, yeah. that, that, that doesn't push back on that, like, narrative. You know what I mean? So It's been, like I said, exhausting. Um, to me, exhausting. final thoughts? Um, all I can say is... God help us. <laughs> I hope that um, with the experiences that people are sharing... Um, that non-people of color, <laughs> if you know what I mean, mm. will just kind of understand what we're saying and like take it to heart. Because at the end of the day, we could talk and talk and talk, but until the people who have the power to do things do the things. When like just seeing like, you know, the prime minister or even like, you know, the people in Congress taking their knee. And I'm just like, I don't want to take a knee. I want you to write laws. Like, <laughs> it's, easy, it's easy to bend down, you know, Break and you know maybe break a knee from having to bed down, having to get up from that. It's harder to write laws because they're <laughs> like, old, you know? you know. You know they need yes. to like oh god, oh god. <laughs> yeah, I, like when I saw that, especially when I saw it in Congress, I was like, can y'all not hurt yourself? Just write laws. Like, take a pen and a paper, write laws and pass them. We don't need this like you know visualization. You know, like it's easy to do that and just you know so. That's, what, that's my final thoughts. Like, talking, talking, talking. I'm tired of talking. I need laws to be written. Yeah. I need laws to be changed. That's true. And I need um, laws to be passed. For me, I just want to say, just help each other out when you can. We all ha- out here suffering. It's not easy. It's not easy. It really is. And with all the protests, I mean, ugh, poor Hong Kong and Lebanon oh. fighting. Um. It's just and the and the Myanmar. Oh, it's everybody's just suffering, and in the end, I just want a job. Somebody should hire me. <laughs> you you two should give me a job, so I don't have time to think about these things. <laughs> I, can't give my, I can't I can't even give myself a job right now. How am I gonna give you a job? I mean, life is hard, y'all. <laughs> it's getting ridiculous, but um. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Copper. Um, our drinks are finished. Yay. We've been refreshed. Um, go out there. I do, though. This conversation was tiring. <laughs> go out there. Stay safe. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Stay safe. Um, Corona's still out there. You know. Yeah, Corona's still out there. So don't be coughing on anybody. I don't know. We take... Uh, gold, silver, no copper, can't do shit with copper. I take properties <laughs> as forms of I take tribute. I take I take Amazon stock and Zoom stock, Microsoft stock, um, Facebook stock. Like, you know, anything that's a Fortune 500 right now, I'll take that. Yeah. I take houses. I take, <laughs> I take gift cards. Oh my gosh, thank you, thank you. Oh, 
Life is hard, man. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you next time. Bye.